This is the Skin Science Podcast. I'm Dr. Thomas Hitchcock, and here we'll investigate everything skin science and dissect it from a scientific perspective, analyze it from a medical perspective, critique it from a consumer perspective, and give insight from an industry perspective. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Dr. Thomas Hitchcock. And with us today, we have, uh, as usual, the lovely Angela Wilson-McDonald. How are you doing, Angela? I am great. Good to see you, Thomas. Good to see you as well. And then we have the in the peanut gallery, we have Dr. Jose Maldonado, Seti, and Alan. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. All right. And then we have extra special guests, Patty Ferris, Dr. Patty Ferris, and Dr. Ted Lane. How are you two? And welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're great. Yeah. Thanks for having us, Thomas. It's, it's great to be with you. And Angela, great to be with you, too. Yes. Yeah, and so um, uh, Dr. Lane, or Ted, can I call you Ted and Patty? Please, absolutely. No, Patty already told me she could, I could talk, call her Patty, but I'm going to ask anyway just for uh, formality. But, um, you know, uh, so they actually head up the uh, Science of Skincare Summit. Is that correct, the, the title? That's right. Okay. Correct. And, of course, this is the Skin Science Podcast, so we thought that that was a great combo to have uh, on a podcast. And today we're going to talk a little bit about what they are envisioning for kind of this year's summit in Austin, which I will be attending. And they were kind enough to invite me to be on one of their panels. Um, and so before we get into that, though, Angela, why don't you read a little bios about them? I would love to. Dr. Ted Lane is a practicing dermatologist and chief medical officer who focuses on diagnosing and treating skin, hair, and nail disorders. He received his medical and business administration degrees from the University of Texas and Baylor College of Medicine and Rice University. After completing his training in dermatology in Arkansas, he settled in beautiful Austin, Texas. He practices at Sonova Dermatology and offers various medical and cosmetic treatments. Dr. Patty Ferris, Patricia Ferris, is a highly experienced dermatologist with over 35 years of research, aesthetics, and clinical practice expertise. She received her medical degree from Tulane University School of Medicine. She is well known for her knowledge of topical skincare, cosmeceuticals, and nutraceuticals, and has given numerous lectures and published extensively on these topics. She offered, authored the textbook, Cosmeceuticals and Cosmetic Practice, which reviews skincare ingredients and explains how cosmeceuticals can be incorporated into clinical practice. And as you said, Thomas, they are both the founders of the Science of Skincare Summit, an event for healthcare professionals to learn about using topical skincare in clinical practice. They host the Skincare Confidential Podcast, providing a comprehensive view of the skincare industry. And I look forward to tuning into that podcast. So good to know. Yeah, I don't know when that's going to hit the air, but um, thank you very much. So uh, Patty and Ted, just so you are aware, if you haven't seen an episode of our podcast. I'd like to start each podcast uh, showing a puzzle because I am a huge puzzle fanatic. And uh, so I have a huge puzzle collection as a nerdy scientist would have. And so this puzzle uh, is called the Celtic Box and it's a mechanical puzzle. So I don't do jigsaw puzzles. I do mechanical or sequential discovery puzzles and such. And so basically you have to figure out like you take it apart and there's a whole slew of different puzzles within here. And I'll tell you, this was a bear to reset after I solved it because it's just as hard to reset it almost as it is to solve it. Uh, so uh, this is one, it's, it's a 3D printed plastic puzzle, but it's pretty robust and it's 
under 200 bucks, so no, not a, a big investment for a lot of fun if you're into that type of thing. So it's the Celtic box, uh, and um, I can't remember the, the person that makes them, but I'll put in the link of the uh, description to the uh, podcast maybe in a little bit. So to get into the topic, today we are going to talk with uh, Patty and Ted about trends, fads, and hot ingredients in the skincare industry. And so this is something that I believe, um, was it... Uh, where was it? It wasn't MCAT, AAD. Ted, you gave a talk on something very similar. And I so, did. yeah. And so why don't you start by giving us kind of an overview of what your talk is and whether or not you're going to cover that during the summit. And then we'll get into some of the, one, the more interesting ones that we want to cover today. Thanks, Thomas. Um, you know, I'm, I'm so excited to be on with you guys. And thank you for inviting us. I, I think the uh, the biggest trend right now in skincare is something that Patty really is an expert on, and that's exosomes. So we'll definitely be covering exosomes in our at our summit. And then other than that, I think they fall into different categories because apart from exosomes, which everyone, so many companies are involved with, there's, you know, the live bacteria piece, which of course you've developed, Thomas, in your biojuke line for Crown, um, is really interesting as well. And I know there's a lot of companies looking into incorporating live bacteria as, as a method to kind of replenish or and or replace the microbiome. And we'll go into all of the facets of the microbiome in terms of the how it's so important for the health and beauty of the skin. And then you've got you know, categories. I think there's a ton of lightning, new lightning ingredients that are, are being developed, uh, both both kind of stateside and abroad. Uh, and, and then you've got some anti-aging uh, ingredients as well as cellular senescence focused ingredients. Mm -hmm. So I think there's big kind of tranches of ingredients that are being uh, being developed. And then there's some really interesting new uh, facets of skincare, such as the live bacteria, such as exosomes that, that, that are being developed as well. It's, it's an interesting time right now in skincare. Yes. And so, Patty, you have anything to add to that? You know, I, I sort of take a step back. I, I love to look at the trends in the industry, and maybe it's because I've been following it for so long and I've seen so many things change. And, you know, I think COVID really changed everything in medicine for sure, but it also changed our focus in topical skincare. And I think we now really see an overlap between beauty and wellness. Mm. And the whole sort of microbiome play, the uh, exosome play, which is really regenerative medicine meets cosmetics is what that is. Mm -hmm. And so we see people, I think, really looking more for wellness as, as well as beauty. And that that combination. And I think that that's leading to many of the things that we're seeing being developed in the industry. Okay. Yeah. And so I, there's a few of those things that uh, Ted mentioned that really stick out to me as hot ticket items to discuss today, because we only do have about 30 minutes. And I want to make sure that we give justice to some of these topics. The first, of course, is exosomes. And then there's also cellular senescence, which is one of my key interests. And we do some of the research in our uh, we have a R&D innovations lab in, at Crown in Johnson City. And so some of the stuff that we do there deals with senescence as well. And of course, uh, the living biome uh, stuff, uh, the living skin biome stuff, which is what we do with BioJuve. All of this plays into um, one concept, which is something that I've been discussing in multiple venues, which is anytime there's a hot commodity or hot topic 
there are 50 companies that try to join that <laughs> without doing any of the work but claiming all the benefit. So in, in your opinions, <laughs> both of you, either one or both, what is your take on that? Because as a clinician, isn't that confusing? I think it is confusing. And I'll, I'll tackle it for a second on exosomes. And I know, Thomas, you're also very interested and well-versed on exosomes. You know, I call it right now the exosome wars. You know, <laughs> it, what's the best exosome? Is it from a fibroblast? Is it from a platelet? Is it from a mesenchymal stem cell? You know, blood cells? Where, what's the best exosome? So everybody's kind of competing in that space right now. And some companies are doing good work. I mean, but if you really look in the literature, there's not a lot of data to date that really supports any of them. I mean, hypothetically and theoretically, I think that they make sense. You know, they're intracellular communication vesicles. They're like a liposomes. They carry genetic material. They go from the donor cell to the host cell. And so theoretically, you know, any of them could work. We don't know near enough right now to mm -hmm. feel comfortable, in my opinion, um, whether they really will rejuvenate the skin. Now, right. now, we have products in the marketplace, for example, TNS, um, and that product, which we originally called a growth factor product, is really loaded with the secretome of fibroblasts and includes lots of exosomes. So we've got things like that where we have a history that we can sort of look at. And that's been a very popular product now for 20 years. And mm -hmm. I was always a naysayer because I'm like, look, a growth factor can't go through a stratum cornea. I'm sorry, <laughs> just not happening. I'm still a so naysayer. I was a, <laughs> I was a big naysayer too. But if you understand that now that they've categorized that product and, and really characterized the contents of it, it contains anything that gets secreted by those neonatal fibroblasts, right. which includes exosomes, which includes lots of different proteins and things. So maybe in the beginning when they were selling us the story, they used to say it was seven different growth factors. I mm. remember it like it was yesterday when it came out. I'm <laughs> like, pooey, not going to work, not going to happen. But people loved it. And there were studies showing that it did rejuvenate the skin. And actually, Ted just interviewed Raul Metka from Skin Medica, who's mm -hmm. really a wonderful guy and a great scientist. And he so much as said that on the podcast. He said, you know, we just didn't understand it because we didn't have the ability to really categorize the contents. So I think we, no. we, we have a lot more to learn. And I don't know what to say about that whole category, but there's a whole lot of hanger honors or me too's coming out. <laughs> and the other thing you're going to find interesting, and Ted and I were sort of rooting around at, um, we were at scale and we were rooting around through all the exosome de mm -hmm. developers. A lot of them are turning to plants yep. because there is issues, you know, there's a lot of regulatory issues with these human derived exosomes. So they're turning to the plant exosomes. And that's a whole nother story, which I find totally fascinating and interesting. But I think we have a lot more to learn on exos. But I do think that, you know, again, they've got lots and lots of interest right now in the marketplace. Yeah. Ted's yeah, Ted, I'll, I'll go to Ted in a second for his, his thought on this, but I want to add a little bit of a, uh, a, not a curveball, but a little hook into the question because you just uh, said everything that was absolutely true. Um, with TNS, though, what, that, that's kind of proof of what we're talking about, which is companies selling things they don't understand. And, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, you know, I know that there was a lawsuit at one point because of um, growth factors and 
whether or not there was uh, ability for it to cause uh, right. tumor genesis Skin or carcinogenicity. Right. carcinogenicity. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm not saying it does. I'm just saying that's what people were uh, uh, concerned about. And that's what people are thinking about exosomes as well, is that, you know, right. it, especially there's certain exosomes that are coming from pooled blood donors. And there's, yep. you know, that's not one single cell source, which other ones are coming from single cell sources, like TNS came from... Um, fetal fibroblasts, fetal right. foreskin fibroblasts. And mm -hmm. so it's, you know, they basically are culturing single or, or cells from one source. Uh, so there's a bunch of considerations, but people are using terms like, for instance, platelets, uh, or PRP, and exosomes as if they're like Kleenex, that any tissue <laughs> is the same. And we all know that if you test PRP, there's very big differences as far as white blood cell count, red blood cell count, you know, the lab level of heme. Um, with exosomes, there's all sorts of differences as far as like, if you culture something in a Petri dish, it's gonna express very different exosomes than if it's cultured in situ or in the body. And so are people really thinking through whether or not it's first passage or it's last passage? Is it becoming senescent? All that affects what it spits out and none of this of is being discussed by any of these groups. And the FDA is coming down. And I know as, as uh, recent as this, this month, the FDA has started to send out letters to these companies saying, you can't say some of these things that you're claiming because it's structure, function, or drug claims. So they're shutting this down. But this could be a disservice because something very similar happened with the skin probiotics where people were doing class action lawsuits and stuff because... They were claiming it's a skin probiotic, but there was no evidence. They weren't even alive most of the time. And so it discredited the whole industry in a sense where people were writing articles like probiotic skincare is a lie. Um, and so now we're having to dig ourselves out of this and say it was a lie maybe in the way that it was being described, <laughs> but the, a legitimate description of it, and if it's done properly, it may be not a lie. So, Ted, what do you think about exosomes given all that you know, blurb I just uh, spit out. Uh, what do you think is going to happen given kind of this carelessness of the industry in just going with something they may not understand? Well, I, I think as with most skincare um, marketing claims, it's buyer beware. And I'm sure Angela can, can speak to that um, because there's really, you know, the FDA oversight is, is relatively minimal. And so it's really up to the consumer to understand what's going on. And and I think it's up to the clinician or the pro provider to, to have the knowledge base to be able to steer their patient or client in the right way, which is exactly why we developed the Science of Skincare Summit, because that kind of knowledge just is, is not inherent and it's not taught. Um, but, you know, in regards to exosomes, I said that there were amazing secretome of the fibroblast. I never thought about that for the TNS serum. I love that, the secretome of the fibroblast. Um, it's spot on. Uh, and then she was talking about how there are trends, right? And, and I think right now one of the big trends in all of medicine is, is kind of the wellness medicine moving into mainstream. We used to think about wellness medicine. Those of us who are kind of really practical into the in, into Western medicine, we used to kind of kind of look down on look down upon or look down our noses upon wellness medicine because mm -hmm. that's there's not there's not a lot of data or science to support a lot of the the supplements that people are using or right. uh, and or the 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 activities and the and the combination of exercise and supplements there's just not a ton of data and then you've got a surgical oncologist peter atia who 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 just published not just published his book he's got this wonderful podcast where he is bringing kind of this western medicine approach to wellness and trying to 
kind of parse out where there is the data to support using this or that, okay, nutritional biochemistry and, and other things and, and certain certain exercise phenomenon that he uses. So it's really interesting right now how wellness is kind of creeping in. The problem is skincare has skirted the edge of not using science for so long right. that we have to be really careful that skincare doesn't fall into this wellness kind of part of it, or of it where, where it's not so much backed by science because we are really pushing skincare over into medical care, as Patty said. There should be an overlap between skincare and medical care. That's where we're leading to. That's where payers are pushing as well because the coverage for topical medicines is so poor. So we need to be pushing the clinical trials that support skin care and kind of we, we need to make sure that as clinicians and as scientists that we are saying to the industry, we are not going to support claims that are not based in science. Mm -hmm. We are not going to use products in whom the, the for, for whom the clinical trials are are let's say not so rigorous and and it's up to us to really be the ones that are at the tip of the spear and keep pushing skincare into the scientific realm and the medical realm versus what has historically been known as the wellness realm so sorry just have to get on my soapbox there no <laughs> I, you're you're preaching you're preaching to the choir because i feel the same i call myself a holobiontologist because i feel very passionately that in order to care for your skin as any other organ of the body it requires that you care for everything about your ecosystem which is the microbiome the the what you put on your skin what you eat whether you get enough sleep whether you're stressed out and so it all uh, comes into play because what people uh, just seem to skirt by is that when you, for instance, and I use this analogy several times in the last couple of weeks um, about um, people really understand when you bring it home to them. So I talk about wine because people seem to understand wine. And so when you drink wine, the alcohol content on the wine did not come from the grapes. The alcohol right. content came from the microbes that the that were fermented with the grapes and turned the sugar into alcohol. And so when you think about what you eat, there's a lot of substances that are in your gut right after a meal that you never ingested. The microbes are turning mm -hmm. the things you ingested into different chemicals. And the same thing happens on your skin, is that when you're in a natural state, your microbes, when they're in symbiosis or balance, they are taking what's on your skin and making it into skin-healthy substances. But every time you put anything on your skin, from water to petroleum jelly to your favorite moisturizer, you are changing many factors that will change the microbes that live on your skin with habitual use, and it will change what they metabolize. And so for me, I find that so compelling because it says to me, um, just because there's a ingredient in any given topical does not mean you should use it because of that ingredient. The same as you wouldn't eat a, a meal just because it has vitamin C in it. It could be a horrible recipe that could cause distress to your whole system just because there's one ingredient that is good for you does not make it a good meal. And so that to me is, 
it's like sifting through. Uh, people are constantly asking me because of, of BioJuve, what can we use with BioJuve? And I have to say, look, guys, I can't endorse products because I don't have their formulas. I don't know what the preservative systems are. And unfortunately, it's like a recipe that a little change can make a big difference. And that's why we created the adjunct products within the BioJuve line, not a lot of them, but because we, we simply can't go out and say and test every single topical and say this is appropriate. And so, um, Angela, what, what, what's your kind of take on this before we go to Patty and, and Ted and get their responses on that? Well, Ted was reading my mind. You know, as I sit in here and listen to brilliant minds who spend a good part of their day dissecting skincare ingredients and skincare in general, I mean, my goodness, y'all even founded a summit on it. <laughs> and, yes. and yet I hear all the questions, you know, that you have. So the, my question is, how does... You know, a, a typical provider in the aesthetic industry decipher it all. An even greater question, how does the average consumer advocate for themselves and know to ask the right questions um, to, to be able to, to find, yeah. you know, to, to figure out what they're investing in and are, and are they making the right investment? That's such a great question. And, you know, I get asked very often by my colleagues, aesthetic physicians, you know, Patty, how do I learn more about skincare? How, how do I wrap my arms around, you know, what is the however many billion dollar a year industry? Mm. And it is very, very hard. And I'll tip my hat to Ted, whose idea it was to start the Science of Skincare Summit. I was like a fish. I caught the hook caught me and I'm like, oh, yeah, we're, we're totally going to do that. We should have done that yesterday. Why have we not done that already? And off we went. But I'm telling you, I believe that one of the great things about having the summit is that we can have these conversations. Mm -hmm. and, and and Thomas, you will be on the podium for us. And we, what we do is we get the researchers and the industry scientists and the formulators in panels and we ask these very questions, and we're so excited about the exosome panel this year because we want to ask the people who are making these things, what is going on here, and right. and what what is the level of scientific rigor? So, I mean, it, it's very hard to answer your question about the consumer. Mm -hmm. it, the, I feel there. I call it consumer confusion. Because you've got advertising, you go to the grocery, you, you go to the drugstore, you get one set of things. You, yeah. you go into the department store, you stop at Saks Fifth Avenue, you have a whole nother sales force coming at you. And then you go into the doctor's office, the derm's office or whoever, and that's a whole nother level of, again, you know, options that you can choose from. And to be totally honest with you, a lot of dermatologists who honestly should know a lot about skincare, just don't have the time, quite frankly, to sit around and look at skincare studies. I mean, I do it because I like it, but I mean, I think most people are probably reading psoriasis and eczema mm -hmm. and biologics <laughs> and all this other stuff we have to digest. So it is, it really is hard, but I would tell the consumers who might be listening to go to your dermatologist and that is the person to start with. And, and also, you know, Expensive things aren't necessarily better. That's right. There's lots of great inexpensive products that you can buy in the drugstore or the department store that are great. And so, you know, there's just a lot of options and it, it's confusing for us as physicians. So, of course, it's going to be confusing for the consumers. Yeah. You know, I, one of the um, philosophical questions I ask myself about uh, our, our 
our addiction in Western culture to sanitation and, and certain hygiene habits. Like I think we overwash for sure. Um, you know, we, we, we have a, a huge emphasis, especially on the female population about perfection of skin, meaning that's why we use a lot of, uh, what are they called? Um, bases, Foundation, foundations, cosmetics, yeah. uh, foundations and powders and different pigments and stuff, because well, I think, it, you know, women, uh, that, that do makeup well, uh, you know, can very much highlight their inherently beautiful features. Um, unfortunately, a lot of that stuff isn't probably the best for the actual biology of the skin. And uh, I just wrote a book with um, collaborating with Dr. Doris Day called Rebooting the Biome. And the, the tag, the, the secondary title is about how the skin basically produces the best ingredients uh, that you can actually, that any money could buy, and, and that's paraphrasing it. But, you know, I feel very strongly that that's true, that our body produces the best substances to care for our body. The problem is we don't live in ancient times. We live in a day and age with full pollution that's uh, full of uh, extenuating circumstances, such as we're in enclosed spaces that mold and mildews and things that are not made to work with us are now being thrown at us all the time as a transient microflora. Um, we have the topicals from overwashing that stay on our skin, overuse of preservatives, surfactants, makeup has certain ingredients that may or may not be useful and good on the skin. So we are in a modern day Western society that basically begs us to find a solution to, with all of these practices, how do we keep our skin well-being and health and beauty in check because I believe it's all connected. The skin is the largest immune organ of the body and what we do to the skin has implications not just for the skin, but for the other systems as well. There's the gut skin brain access. And so for me, that's the philosophy that I wanna know is our companies, I know what our company is doing because I have a large part of the direction of uh, the philosophy of the company as we move forward, I have a large kind of uh, seat at the table. But are other companies looking at this? Are they looking at the evolution of what we understand about the skin biome and that it's not just human cells in a Petri dish, but it's an ecosystem that they have to actually formulate for? You know, do, do you observe that from the scientists that you talk to or, or even the marketing people in other uh, industry partners that you work with? I think, yes. yes. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, what you're referring to is the hygiene hypothesis, right? Yeah. Thomas, which right. is, you know, if you grow up in a, in a hand sanitizing environment and you overwash, you, you lead to a TH2 biased immunity, which leads to the allergic triad, mm -hmm. atopic dermatitis, seasonal allergies, rhinitis. Otherwise, if you grew up in ancient times, if you grew up with dogs and cats and on the ground and, and you don't wash as much, you're in the TH1 biased immunity, which is more the interferon gamma, um, more antibacterial, antiviral. So, so that's the problem is that we've kind of pushed ourselves from a TH1 biased immunity to a TH2 biased immunity, which is why we've seen so much atopic dermatitis and asthma, mm -hmm. for example. And so, yeah, that's, that's, you're exactly right. It's, it's been well characterized. Um, and, and I don't know that others are, other skincare formulators or chemists or company executives are necessarily thinking about how their products or ingredients affect the microbiome. However, that theme is becoming more prominent in our discussions. So I, I, as I said before, I really think that you guys have forged a new path 
and behind you many others will follow. I hope that will not be copycats. I, I hope they will take the science and um, and kind of develop it as much as possible because I, I do think what you've done there in harnessing the beneficial the, the beneficial aspects of uh, the microbiome bacteria that support our immunity is really important. Um, but but I also on the flip side also think that we do layer products, we do combine, mm-hmm. and so that needs to be figured out as well. Can we can we add a retinol to the biojuice? Can you know what about the antioxidants? All that because that's going to be done, and that's not up to you guys necessarily. It just it it needs that kind of work needs to be done whether it's investigator-initiated trials or, or otherwise case series or something like that, it needs to be done. The, the microbiome is so complex, as you know, it's, it's very difficult to kind of determine at, um, kind of beneficial or, or, or other, you know, aspects of it with, with topical skincare. Yeah, it is. And so, Patty, given what Ted just said, because it's all, it's all very... Um, it's all very much the way that I think as well. The, the The problem, though, is that one of the things that I don't necessarily know whether or not we are doing quite yet that it's throughout history happened is when we learn some premise uh, or some dogma or some um, paradigm needs to be changed, how much how how much push it takes to actually make the change and the resistance to that change. So for instance, if I was to, uh, for instance, I'm not a huge fan of retinoids. And I know that's a controversial thing to say because pretty much the whole industry is in love with them. Um, but I have my reasons and we won't go in those, into those today. But what I would say is most people kind of turn off. As soon as I say that, they're like, okay, I'm not going to listen because I, I don't agree with anything you're going to say despite what level of evidence you give me. <laughs> And so my question to you, uh, as you're the ones that are basically trying to bring everybody to the table with these, this summit and saying, look, we are in a society where we're constantly learning. We're in medicine and it's the art of practicing medicine. And we got science that's changing and evolving. We need to sit down and make sure that what we put forth into the market is actually something that we legitimately understand, at least in part, and that moves with what we learn. The problem is, if you look at most of the people that formulate topicals, they don't think about biology hardly at all. They just say, how can I get this vitamin C stable in a way that nobody else has done before because I need some sort of hook for my vitamin C so that you buy it versus the other thousand vitamin Cs on the market? And so that for me is the problem is that it turns into this one upmanship about it doesn't matter what it does for the skin. It matters the sizzle that I can sell. And that becomes a deterrent to the consumer as well as the physician, because we then are stuck saying, you know, what do you do? I mean, when it's all about just one upsmanship versus actual science. So what do you what do you think about that, Patty? What is your take on that? Well, I mean, of course, I agree with what you're saying. Um, I'm going to back up a little bit. You know, you made some comments, and I think what you sort of re- dancing around in a way is the exposome. So all of those factors, whether it's pollution or whether it's ultraviolet light or mm-hmm. whether it's your crappy diet or whatever it is, lack of sleep, stress, anxiety, all of those things that affect our skin. And so we 
you know, the skin, I always say it's it's not an island. I mean, it's part of the entire organism that we are. And so there are multiple factors that need to be dealt with. Now, you talked about changing paradigms. Paradigms don't change all that quickly. That's right. So I'm, I'm going to tell you that for sure. <laughs> and, and the fact that dermatologists prescribe antioxidants to use during the day to protect against exposomal extrinsic mm-hmm. factors, and they use retinol at night, is not something that's going to likely change all that quickly. Right. Now, I understand there's probably... I. I I can see through your reasoning about something like retinol because of what it does to our microbiome, mm-hmm. because it can be irritating, because it breaks down the barrier and all of those things. But those are sort of tried and true dermatology ingredients that most dermatologists feel very comfortable with. And a lot of it is just something as simple as that, quite frankly, even though the science may show us differently. And, and I kind of agree with Ted. We do see more companies looking at the microbiome. And Ted, for example, a lot of the work that was done with the thermal spring waters, mm-hmm. where they started looking at what it was doing to the microbiome and why do these people who go to these thermal springs get better? Psoriasis patients, eczema patients, breast cancer patients who've had radiation treatment are flocking to these this spring water. And with nothing but spring water, they're getting better. So they looked, started looking at what is it doing to the microbiome. It's you know what's in it. There's anti-inflammatories in there. You know it's it, it painted a whole story that it really explained thermal spring water in a way that again we didn't really understand years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think people are paying more attention to the microbiome. I think it's really one of the most exciting parts of what's going on in dermatology right now both for the pathogenesis of certain diseases, whether it's rosacea or it's acne or it's eczema, you know, that microbiome is in there mm-hmm. in, in every single one of those conditions. But also even in just skin health, what, you know, where you're going with your line, just providing what it takes to keep your microbiome healthy and to keep your barrier function intact. And obviously that's something retinoids and hydroxy acids and other things don't do and sometimes have the the adverse effect of affecting the microbiome in a negative way. Yeah, and so we got about five minutes left. And so I want to end uh, on a little anecdote. Um, there's a guy that uh, he helped start a company back in the day that I'm not going to get into all the branding and stuff, but long story short, he has some connections to the indigenous tribes in Central America and they've collected you know, hundreds of samples from their skin and such. And they basically, you know, there's a lot to go on here as far as, and it's a, it's a bigger topic than we have time to tell. But the, the point that I want to get across is that these people are uh, not touched by civilization. Um, They are in the sun when the sun is out for the most part all the time. They don't wear a lot of clothing. They don't get skin cancer. They don't get inflammatory skin diseases. Um, they don't age in the progressive way that we think they do. And so one of the things that I'm trying to get people to think about is, yes, it's apples to oranges because we live in a different world than they do. So we have to find a way to live in this world. And that's where you know scientists and stuff can help us. How do you live in this world but have the same kind of uh, skin wellness as those people? Um, but it does really beg the question whether or not we should be exploiting the stuff that our body produces versus trying to find an artifice to do it. 
Um, and that's for me what's fascinating about, we, we didn't have time to get into the cell senescence and such, but that's for me one of the most fascinating things is that uh, the tie between senescent cells and cancer cells. And, you know, the fact is we're seeing um, chemotherapeutic agents that are working well for anti-senolytic activity and such. And that stuff is fascinating to me because I think we're on the verge of unlocking something. And I'm not sure what it is going to, what's going to happen. I don't think we'll ever live forever, but I think that we're on the verge of locking uh, what, what uh, I think David Sinclair calls um, health span versus lifespan. And so although we might live 150 years max, most of that 150 years will be spent healthy and happy versus battling, you know, for 80 years, 50 of them battling cholesterol and all this stuff. So I'm thinking with dermatology, I'm hoping that we do get to somewhere. Um, we have a couple of minutes. So I want to read out some of these uh, things. Uh, Dr. Maldonado put a list together of these kind of fads uh, correct? And so we have skinimalism, uh, we have blue light protection, J-beauty and K-beauty, uh, let's see, tech-driven skincare, like kind of like AI-driven skincare, um, slugging. Of those, which would you like to comment on briefly as we wrap things up? Because some of those, I think, are more sizzle than steak, and some of them actually are, are probably legit. I'll just make a comment because some of those, I think, came from me. You know, <laughs> people need to un I think physicians particularly need to understand that social media is a huge driver mm -hmm. of the skincare industry right now. 100%. And all of those things that you just mentioned, whether it's skinimalism, it's slugging, it's um, skin cycling, all of those things have been promoted through social media. And consumers have really latched on to these things. And I'm much like you, Thomas, you know, most of it is sizzle and, and it's, you know, a way to sell more product and a mm -hmm. way to do whatever it is that companies want to do. But you have to be somewhat aware of those things because patients come in and they ask about those right. things every day. And does. so even if you don't necessarily subscribe to whatever it is, it's a, it's good for people to understand, I think, where, where it's coming from and to be able to at least fend the questions off, again, for the consumers who are confused because TikTok is a, a doctor now, you know, TikTok's a new medicine. Um, right, you mentioned Sinclair. Right. I mean, there's so many people on TikTok now you can find everybody. Yeah, and so it, it's just fascinating to me. Yeah, and but all of those trends, yeah. you know, started on social. Yeah, and the ASDS uh, IAC conference a couple of years ago, I remember we were talking about how you know why is it that these social media influencers are the experts and not the dermatologists? And so ASDS is, is trying to find a way to bring back the credibility to the dermatologist because you know um, that's what you said is so true, but actually kind of scary. Like, why is a 15-year-old telling me how I should, you know, treat my skin just because they saw it on somebody else's TikTok? I would rather go to somebody who spent their life, you know, understanding skin and, and the whole whole and such. But that drives the question is, are physicians need, for them to be taken as the experts they need to wholly understand what is the riffraff, what is the go-tos? Because otherwise, who are we going to go to? Yeah, uh, 100%. WebMD? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're 100 percent. And there's really a lot of good content coming from dermatologists on oh, yeah. social. So I'm going to say it's there's happening. a lot of good content that it's happening. Yeah, it's you're definitely taking it back. Happening. 
You're taking back your power. We got to take it back. (laughs) All right. So um, I think that's the end of our time for this topic here. And I think, Ted, you're going to stay on for uh, the next topic as well. But Patty has uh, some fun uh, with family coming up. So we're going to let her go. (laughs) Um, But um, Patty, if they want to find you on social media, where can they go? Uh, I'm on TikTok and I'm on Instagram. I'm DermDocPatty. Okay. Is that all one word? Yep, Derm Doc Patty, okay. P-A-T-T-I. So we want to see you dance on TikTok. That's I'm, I'm actually not <laughs> dancing. <laughs> All right. And, uh, My dance moves, no. Yeah, me neither. Trust me, you do not want to see that. Um, Ted, how about you? <laughs> Dr. Ted Lane, D-R-T-E-D-L-A-I-N. Okay. And then uh, Science of Skincare Summit. Is there any socials for that? Yep. We're on, we're, yeah. Yep, we're on all of them, Science of Skin Care Summit. And if they want to check out the meeting, scienceofskincaresummit.com for registration and the agenda and all the fun stuff. And really quickly, is that just for physicians? Is it for industry? Is it for consumers? Who's invited to that? The meeting's for healthcare professionals. Okay. Um, so, but it can be estheticians, nurse practitioners, PAs, um, Healthcare professionals and, of course, industry. Our industry partners are all there. Lots of manufacturers, like I said, mm-hmm. will attend. Okay, wonderful. And then Angela, where about where can they find you? At Angela Wilson McDonald on Instagram. Yeah. Very, very active. So don't be overwhelmed by the number of postings. <laughs> Um, I'm going to follow you right now, Angela. <laughs> Patty, don't judge. <laughs> uh, I do enough of that for her. Yes. Um, anyway, I'm Dr. Thomas Hitchcock. You can find me on social on Instagram at dr.t.hitchcock. Um, or you can go, if you want to know more information about this podcast or the things we do at Crown Laboratories, you can go to crownlaboratories.com. Uh, we have sites there. We have uh, Beauty and the Bacteria. We have um, all sorts of webinars and such on these topics. And we have the Skin Science Podcast. You can find that on YouTube or listen to it on any of the uh, podcast sites like Spotify or Apple or whatnot. Uh, uh, one last thing, I want to put a plug in for the book. Go look up if you're interested in the topic of the skin biome, Rebooting the Biome by Dr. Dorstay and Dr. Thomas Hitchcock. Uh, we think you'll enjoy the read. Anyway, thank you for your eyes and ears. We hope you glean something from this discussion. And until next time, goodbye for now. 